Welcome to N20XX. This series takes the listener, year by year, into the future. From 2040 to 2195. If you like emerging tech, ecotech, futurism, permaculture, apocalyptic survival scenarios, and disruptive science, sit back and enjoy short stories that showcase my research into how the future may play out. Chet Izzo stands in front of the heavy, metal door. His eyes have never expressed emotion. He often makes his lips smile or frown, but all his eyes ever do is blink or squint in bright light. He's never shed a tear not even as a child. His arms are longer than they should be. Despite his medium stature, most avoid him. He's rumored to have killed inmates with their own weapons. Electric locks clank and the door slides open. He steps out as 14 other men step out from neighboring cells. All 15 walk to a hall that leads to the yard, keeping a seven-foot distance between each other. One time he counted 100 watch-size cameras mounted between his cell and the yard. In the yard, the inmates clump together in groups. Most won't look at him. Who can forget the national news of his crimes? He crosses the yard, approaching Lolly the smuggler and Jared the bomb maker. A year ago, when he overheard them discussing the war, he kept joining in though they weren't happy about it. Eventually, they've warmed up to him. All three of them long to take part in the war. They all wish they could have participated in World War I and World War II. Lolly sums it up well when he says, we're alive at the right time, just not the right place. Jared, with bad skin, says, the US and a lot of other countries use salt-ion batteries. They're cheaper and use common elements. But the Russians still use lithium-ion batteries. Chet nods and leans against the wall. Lolly's eyes dart and he forms an O with his mouth. So, we cut off their lithium supply. Jared shakes his head. Here's the thing, in the 20s, lithium-ion batteries had the problem of exploding and bursting into flames. Chet says, you're saying Russia has bomb-making material all over the place. Jared says, yes. Lolly hopes his trembling doesn't show. Wouldn't it be hard to turn a battery into a bomb? Jared says, I can think of at least three ways of doing it. The hour in the yard goes by quickly. Lolly chews his thumbnail. The Republican majority House and Senate voted to continue voting even when so many Democrats aren't able to work right now. Jared says, that's all right. Whoever made that media weapon did our country a favor. Notice how we're short on guards these days? Chet says, I've seen it. Lolly's eyes look startled. Seen what? The media weapon. I've seen it on the little TV one of my admirers gave me. I've seen it twice. Jared smiles. Wait, it's supposed to give you PTSD. How come you're still standing here? Chet says. I don't know. I'm one of the people it has no effect on. Jared says, the feds are looking for people like you. There's a number you can call. I know. Lolly's eyes widen. You'll probably earn privileges if you do it. In a quiet room, doctors sit at stations watching monitors. 
Dr. Kenwick brings two coffees. How's Volunteer B-40 doing? He sits next to Dr. Hills. Both Kenwick and Hills are in their 60s and healthy for their ages. Kenwick's pronounced jaw adds to his smugness. Hills' hair isn't entirely in her control, and she reins it in with bobby pins. She doesn't take her eyes from the readings. He's practically flatlining. I don't know if we should be happy or declare him brain dead. Kenwick says, he writes a lot each time he watches it. Hill says, yes, he always takes at least a few pages of notes. Look at this. He always ends with, I can watch it more than once a day. How many times has he seen it? Ten times here. He said he saw it twice before volunteering. Kenwick taps his coffee. He did watch his father torture and kill his mother when he was 10 years old. What? Yeah, I interviewed him when he came in. They brought him in a helicopter from a high-security prison. He's a serial killer. Do you watch crime shows? Hills brings her hands to her mouth. No. Kenwick shrugs. He's held up longer than the others. He beat a 15. Yes by two viewings so far. Hills grabs her coffee. I didn't know A-15 is out. A janitor told me A-15 used the floor to smash his face in. Hills sets her coffee down and coughs, oh no. Coders enter a hangar-sized building. Each takes a seat at a computer station. The black and white monitors connected to the rudimentary computers only show code. There are no operating systems, no graphics cards, no sound cards, no internet, and no ports on these systems. Each computer comes preloaded with the media weapon codes. The 30 coders work 12-hour shifts. They can run analyzing software but there's no way they can see the images or hear the sounds that the code produced during ad slots. Trent with bushy brows and circles around his eyes taps the down key. This is impressive. Look how instead of just unpacking images it also uses error-correct as a counter, counting each time the video is played. Brian tugs on his clip-on tie as he leans over. For the third time today, why didn't I think of that? The coders, doctors, and generals meet in a domed auditorium. Five sit on the stage. Trent, head of coders, speaks at the podium. The media weapons were designed to first play like ordinary commercials but then to transform into completely different videos. Videos store as compressed documents. Every time a video plays, parts of it act like software, filling in the pixels of each still image. The media weapons utilize the software-like activity of video decompression to unleash malware and assemble hidden videos that are then written over the original videos. Every broadcaster reviewed each commercial before putting it in the lineup. The media weapons looked clean when the companies got them. They passed all screenings. We analyzed the hidden videos. The hidden videos were made by a variant of Dr. Mashup, an AI that's best known for taking millions of songs to generate new hit songs. A few days later, Chet sits in a comfortable chair in a holding cell. Several doctors sit in folding chairs outside the cell. 
Kenwick asks, your notes say the video reminded you of a shock video? Chet says, yes. Can you elaborate? Online, on Neochan, a group called PsyOps post shock videos. Hill says, I've studied this. This group posts the most disturbing, gory, and violent videos in existence. There's a whole online subculture that collects and watches horrific videos. Most participants are male. Some watch the posts to toughen up. Videos get upvoted for causing retching from the viewers. Chet says, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Hills turns to the other doctors. People who get addicted to watching violent videos get used to them. The shock wears off and it takes more disturbing content to induce shock. But primal parts of our brains don't know the difference between reality and what you see online. The viewer knows they're only watching a video, but their primal minds think they're present and even participating in the evil acts. People who watch too many of these videos become divided. A deep self-hatred develops even when the viewer never hurt anyone. There are millions of these videos circulating online just as there are millions of hit songs. Dr. Minty says, the AI has figured out what makes a hit song in ways people don't understand. In other words, a dumb AI like Dr. Mashup can understand people in all kinds of ways that we can't understand ourselves. Kenwick shakes his head. Who needs nuclear weapons anymore? Nuclear weapons are messy and expensive, but AI weapons are the opposite. AI weapons cost nearly nothing to make. Why kill people when you can induce suicidal reactions? You can send an AI weapon over the internet. Hill says, Mr. Izzo, have you heard of Dr. Mashup? Chet says, yes. That's what the video was like. It was like a Dr. Mashup song only it was a video. Hill says, you said it was in English? Yes. Hills looks at Kenwick. Native English speakers are more affected by it. She turns to Chet. And your notes describe the video as taking place in America? Yes. Hill says, we'll need to make our counter-attack language and region-specific. The doctors speak between themselves for a few minutes. Kenwick says, Mr. Izzo, if we make counter-attack videos in different languages, could you determine if they're of the same quality as the video you've been watching every day? Chet watches Kenwick. I don't see why not. I do speak some Russian. I'll tell you what, though. If I do that for you, I want something in exchange. The doctors look amongst themselves. Chet says, if I help you make your counterattack video, I want to get dropped behind enemy lines. The doctors frown, raise their eyebrows, and make other expressions of not knowing what to say. Finally, Kenwick says, we will take your request, your proposal, to the generals and get back to you with an answer. Two generals and the team of computer experts who made the latest media weapon sit around a table. A stern-faced woman with eyes slightly close together, General Mendez says, we don't have an ad agency in Russia. The Russians established an ad agency years before launching their weapons. They could do it because we had no idea this sort of attack was even possible, but they surely will be on guard. Bree an AI engineer with a Jersey accent says, we can hide the weapon in videos that'll go viral on their equivalent of tube, 
Mendez grimaces. The chance of making a video that goes viral is less than winning the lottery. And they aren't going to let us buy ad space. We aren't going to reach as wide an audience as they did. Bree says, so we put a lot more videos on their tube. How about videos about American soldiers doing stupid things and being clumsy? It may not get as many views as one of the commercials they aired during election night, but will reach a significant number. General Regis, who towers over the rest even when everyone's sitting, says, I agree with Bree. We have plants in Russia who can upload videos. I'm no tube star and even I can think of videos that'll get views. How about, sexiest Russian countdown? Bree says, they'll eat that shit up. Who's that defector actress? We can make videos of her in an American prison. That's sure to go viral. Regis smiles, how about homeless in America? Russians never tire of watching those videos. Bree says, we won't need people in Russia to upload the videos. There's old anonymous browsing software still used there that we can use. Regis says, what about downloading their most popular videos and re-uploading them with the weapon hidden inside? Bree looks up at Regis and smiles. With a cabin as wide as a canoe, each passenger has their own door, and the pilot uses the hinged canopy to board. There's no room to move about inside. Everyone must stay in their seats. They can't see each other but communicate through headphones. In flight for six hours, the plane climbs to max altitude. The pilot switches off the engines. How are y'all doing back there? Chet opens his eyes. With no window view, he spent the last few hours trying to get some sleep. I'm fine. How much longer? About an hour. We'll glide the rest of the way before your drop. I'll let you know before I drop you. You don't need to worry. You'll fall but your backpacks contain copter arms that fold out and a drone system that'll land you safely. Chet says, I'm not worried. The pilot says, how about the other two? You guys have been quiet back there. Jared's voice sounds scratchy. Yeah. I'm okay. Lolly moans, not me. I hate heights. I did most of my smuggling in submarines. The pilot says, well, this is the most unusual mission I've flown. If you're some sort of special forces you've got me fooled. But I guess you're going to blend into the general population? Chet says, something like that. All three belly side doors open at once and dump the passengers. Lolly grips his mouth with both hands to keep from screaming. The stars whip around as he twirls. His backpack comes to life. Copter arms fold out and his spinning slows until he hangs, still falling fast but slowing. All he can see are stars above. He can't see the plane or Jared or Chet. A black sea of clouds swallows him and cold mist stings his face. Then the thick clouds lift off him. A mostly black landscape comes into focus below him. Lonely lights on rocky mountainside strain to shine up at him. What might be a road snakes through evergreen. Shifting to try to turn, he searches for the other two. The military people told him to be quiet during the drop.
Some automated equipment will shoot dropping objects out of the sky so it's kind of important not to be noticed. The ground comes up fast. Trees turn from spots into giants that fly past him. The ground rises to crush him but in the last second the copter arms spin at top speed, slow him down, and drop him gently to the ground. A cold, forest surrounds him. He stumbles over jagged rocks, falls, and his hands land in wet moss. Over the headphones, Jared whispers, you guys? Did you guys land? Lolly climbs to his feet. A twig snaps behind him. He lumbers to turn around as Chet marches up, draws a long blade, and sticks it through Lolly's throat, severing the spinal cord. Over the headphones, Jared speaks. You guys? I'm okay. Did you land? Thank you for listening. My landing page is solomeshan.com. There you can find the companion website to this podcast that includes a timeline and illustrations.